A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Organizational scalability in data mesh. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Chris Haas, who's an advisory consultant at ThoughtWorks. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Chris's point of view. Number one, when starting a data mesh journey, you have to find teams that are actually willing to participate. If they won't truly take ownership of their data, it's essentially a non-starter. You can help convince many domains by showing them the investment you'll put into their teams on upskilling and other capabilities enhancements. It's not just new responsibilities and work for them. Number two, in Data Mesh, look to drive domain-wide understanding and buy-in, at least to the vision of what a more data-capable domain means, the benefits to the domain. Not everyone will or has to care about Data Mesh specifically, but you shouldn't have data mesh by decree from upper management. Number three, consider lean value tree mapping. It helps everyone align on a single mission with goals to support the mission, what bets you have to make for each goal and on down. It can help you stay focused on what you are trying to achieve. There's a link about lean value tree mapping in the show notes as well. Number four, for use case prioritization within a domain, look to one, what are the business goals? Two, what use case will have the highest value? And three, what is the easiest to execute on? Don't get overly focused on value if you aren't ready to actually deliver it. And then Scott note here, don't forget risk too. Number five, potentially controversial, choose a use case with a single domain if possible for your organization's first data mesh use case. 
It just limits the amount of challenges and potential failure modes. This is coming up more and more. I know some organizations struggle with this because they want the data extracted from a domain where the domain doesn't have a ton of uh, value at the from the initial use case at the start. And that's more likely to lead to challenges and failure and not having people bought in and all sorts of things. So if you can find one, look for one that kind of fits this criteria. Number six, it's common to want to first focus on the technical aspects of data mesh. It's the tangible part and easier to see changes, but you should be focusing on the organizational aspects just as much. I would say early in your journey, you should be focusing a little bit more on the organizational aspects you know, from a personal side. Number seven, you can start your data mesh platform team in a central data team. That's a very common pattern. And it doesn't have to be huge, four to five people building and a product owner. You know, the platform is a product too, but it's pretty common to have people in a central team. Number eight, a domain-based data product team doesn't have to be large or require a big reorganization of the domain. Make sure they have the capabilities, you know, data fluency and domain subject matter expertise. Like, do they have the data engineering capabilities to do this? You know, if they have those capabilities to execute, it, it can be a small team carved out of the domain. You don't have to, again, reorganize everything. Number nine, potentially controversial, data product teams should be long-standing teams. They're typically responsible for developing use cases that consist of multiple data products, not just a singular data product. Most data products don't need that level of day-to-day tending. I just haven't heard this one before, and that's why I said it might be controversial. I think it's the way most people are looking at it, but I don't know if that's the case. Number 10, doing decentralized data, you know, doing data mesh doesn't mean everything is decentralized. E.g., the data platform can still be provided by a central team, right? Scott, note, this is a persistent myth around data mesh. Not everything becomes decentralized or you will just create silos. Just because we're calling it decentralized data doesn't mean all of a sudden everything is decentralized. Number 11, potentially controversial. Once you've proved out you can do data mesh and drive value, when thinking about adding new domains, consider setting up a transformation office to coordinate and upskill across domains. Again, I'm not hearing a ton of people really link their data mesh journey to a data transformation office or an overall digital transformation office, but I think it it makes sense if your organization is willing to do that. Number 12, look to build an internal community to encourage cross-domain communication and hopefully collaboration. Number 13, finding cross-domain use cases is likely to be more difficult. Leverage that internal community to create more conversations that result in new valuable use cases. Number 14, when finding your data product for a specific use case, start from what would be the specific consumer-oriented data product to support that use case. Then start to work backwards towards what source-aligned data products you'd need to support that consumer-aligned data product. And of course, look at existing data products for potential reuse first. And finally, number 15, and I do think this one is is controversial. This is kind of what I think Jamak has been saying through uh, some of, of her stuff, but I'm seeing this kind of balanced between a lot of things. So again, controversial, I think, Source-aligned data products should be, or at least should start off 
quote unquote, very specific and very small. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Chris Haas here, who is an advisory consultant at ThoughtWorks. And we're going to be talking about um, you know a couple of different things here. One of the big things is driving organizational scalability in data mesh. Like one thing that a lot of people really, really focus on is the scalability of data products and or their data product kind of suite and, you know, via the platform, can we create many of these? Can we actually interoperate them and things? But how do we actually get to efficient ways of working and how do we bring on new domains in efficient ways and find those patterns of reuse on the organizational side without trying to make everything fit into an exact pattern? Like, how do you find what's actually good and what's not and and what you can leverage from domain to domain? And then we're going to talk about identifying new use cases, and then how do you identify the necessary data products to actually satisfy those use cases? And then we're, we're hopefully going to be able to get to as well the um, this anti-pattern that we're, we're starting to see a little bit of people trying to put out data products more simply because they can. And somebody says, hey, we'd like this data. And instead of really thinking about how should I encapsulate this into a data product, how should I do this for reuse, it's kind of serving the data simply because you can to that specific use case and not really thinking about the kind of broader mesh principles of data as a product instead of creating simply a data product. So um, but before we get into that, uh, Chris, if you don't mind giving a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Uh, First of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm Chris, advisory consultant with ThoughtWorks, and uh, I'm working with Data Mesh now for a bit over two years um, with a number of uh, our clients. Um, so I'm, I'm mostly helping our clients to discover the right um, use cases for them um, and, and scaling the organization. Right. So I have a focus on operating model topics and transformation management. Yeah, and, and that operating model is really. I think that's the phrase that's really been. Uh, coming up a lot of like, how do you actually think about how do we design that to the organization? And then how do we make that so that there is, it's for the now, but it's also for the future and like kind of evolving that and, and making that that possible. So I think that that's a good place to kind of start when talking about organizational scalability, like depending on where you are in your journey, how do you think about that organizational change or that organizational roadmap and saying like, here is what you need to change now, or here's how you need to to discover what this should be now. And then how do you think about telling people to, to look for those patterns of reuse, but also like 
if a pattern's no longer working for you, don't be precious and throw it out. Like, how, how do you start that conversation at the beginning of somebody's journey? Then we can kind of walk through how that that evolves as they're going along, because, you know, obviously the organizational patterns and model and stuff are going to evolve as you mature. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is every organization is a bit different, right? So what we see in many organizations, especially in, in, in um, more established companies, is that uh, the the principles domain oriented ownership and and also data as a product is something that doesn't go natural with the organizational structure they work in uh, and with the team structure they they operate right um so i think one of the one of the very first things that we need to establish is to identify with the the business domains if they're actually willing to take that ownership and if they are willing to to build the teams and to invest in the, I don't want to say resources, um, in, in the, into the skills, the, the people that can actually build data products as part of a business domain um, and take this responsibility out of a centralized IT function and, and really integrate this into their business domain and make this part of their value delivery. Yeah, and I think that question of, are you willing, most people, what they're finding if you're not asking that question the right way, the answer is simply no. Like, no, I'm not willing to do this. So like, what have you found to kind of incentivize them or work with them, collaborate with them so they feel comfortable and excited, right? Maybe at least to start comfortable and and willing, if not, you know, enthusiastic about it. But what what have you found that's like that, that pattern, um, you know, or, or maybe it's, it's, there isn't a, thing that you always do or that you usually do is how, how are you having those conversations? Because people are struggling in that aspect. Well, what we usually see is that there is um, a small number of people, maybe a domain lead or let's say two, three people in the leadership team that, that have that have a certain interest in data mesh and they, they see data mesh as a solution to, to their problems, right? Which can be accessibility of data, uh, data quality. And um, when when we work with a domain, we try to establish or we we, we identify what they see as a vision uh, for data mesh and why they think data mesh is the right thing to go for. And this is an exercise we do with a uh, with with the whole team, right? So that everybody is actually living this vision, and it's not something that the leadership team is just just um, um, somehow putting on top of the of the organization and say, you have to do data mesh. This is not how it works. It's, it's rather, we, we try to identify something that everybody can believe in. And sometimes the answer might even be, well, data mesh is not for us. That, that's also a valid answer, right? You don't have to do this. Um, and I think another, another important aspect is that if you don't see a, a business value in it, if you can't prove a business value within a certain time, um, this might also be a point where you can say, well, perhaps data mesh is not the right solution for us. Um, but more often we see that data mesh is a good solution in, in particular when different domains want to collaborate and need data from each other and want to, to share data. Right? This is where the beauty of the data mesh comes, uh, yeah, becomes visible. Is that where you, you look, at least in, especially for initial use cases? Like what, what I'm finding is a lot of people want to go to a domain that has a lot of valuable data and say, give me your data and not have the like, is this part of like scaling the organizational thing of going, 
there needs to be incentivization and it's not just giving them capabilities and resources. It's, it's, they have to care about the use case. And so it's finding those collaborative use cases where there are, you know, three domains that work together and there is this cycle of data that all three of them need data from each other. And so then it's beneficial, but then you don't necessarily have all of those use cases. And people are like, well, that's not my highest value use case. And it's like, well, maybe you don't start with that then because that's, you know, you don't start with the highest value because that has too many eggs in that basket and there are too many political things. And like, how are you finding that kind of early journey versus kind of mid journey and, and where those conversations kind of go? So in in general, we start with a with an exercise where where we build a lean value tree with a, with one domain usually, right? It's one domain that uh, that we start with, and we want to identify what are the business goals that they're actually working on, and we we break these goals down. Um, like first, we we uh, define them um, in detail about the measures of success that we that we actually want to take to identify if we're making progress and having an impact. And we break it break the goals down into uh, value hypotheses. That can be experiments um, how we might achieve these goals and from there we identify use cases and we prioritize them with with everybody involved actually with a with a it can be a group of 20 30 people just last week we had a, um, a workshop where we had uh, 28 people um, in in the room to identify what is your highest priority use case for a domain um, and we look at what is which use case delivers the highest value uh, where do we have um, the highest reach? And what is the one where we think that it's uh, the least effort to actually build it? So these are the three dimensions we look at for prioritization. Now, when we look at the uh, the question of, is it a, a use case that is within a domain or cross domains? I must say that it's it's more often that we see an initial use case within one domain because it's just easier to coordinate from also from a politics perspective, right? It's easier to have one business owner um, convinced of data mesh and building building a kind of a prototype that we can then use to um, to spread the word in the organization than to bring three domains together and start with a cross-domain use case. So I, I would say in general, it's really starting with one domain, finding a use case in one domain. Um, and once that proves to be successful, once you see an impact with this, once you can really have an impact on the business, uh, then it's it, this is where we where we can scale to other domains and we we'll roll out across other domains and we we can really build that mesh. So if I, if I'm paraphrasing, I just yeah. want to make sure I'm I'm hearing you right. Is that the your if you can find it a good first use case should be that the domain that it is producing is also consuming because in in some organizations domains are like, I understand my data, I'm totally producing my data. And so there's more initial friction because your use cases aren't going to be within the domain because the domain's already saying, I'm already good enough with my data. I just need to share the data across. But if you can get to kind of some incremental learnings on how to do this and that, just, I mean, you know, we've heard this multiple times, handoffs create more friction. Jesse Anderson said, you know, a handoff between a team, that single handoff lengthens the time that that takes by 12x. One single handoff is 12x. So the more that there are handoffs and friction and things like that, but 
you know, if you can find that you can learn how to do data mesh relatively well, you can learn how to put out data products and then other domains can consume from that same data product that you've created and stuff like that. But that initially you should look for to incentivize a domain by saying, we're going to get you something that's going to significantly benefit you. So you're putting in the work to benefit yourself. Well, of course, it would be easy to say uh, we, we need data in a domain. And now, I mean, we have the concept of, of domain-oriented ownership, right? So that means if you if, if the use case um, that we're building with a domain requires data from another domain, at least by theory, this other domain would be responsible to produce data products as well and, and give us access to these data products, right? Um, but they don't have any benefit to uh, participate in our exercise, right? Because at the very, very start, um, there is no community in an organization that says, yeah, we want data mesh, right? It's rather you convinced one or one domain or one domain came to us and say, so let, let, let's give it a try. Um, let's build um, a prototype to, to show our management that this, is wor- that this works and that we can roll this out and it delivers value. So then involving more than one domain is quite a challenge um, also to, to find um, the, the the willingness in this other domain to participate in a use case that actually benefits somebody else. And, and we find this is uh, th- this can be a challenge. It's not easy. Um, so ideally, we find a use case that is only within one domain to build that first implementation and actually use this to um, communicate internally, hey, this is what we did. This is how we can roll it out. Um, but in reality, of course, it sometimes you see you need a data product that that belongs to a different domain and then you need to make a decision if you if you involve that other domain and if you convince them um to set up a data product team to build data products for you or if you um if you say okay by theory this data product should sit with another domain but reality shows us that it would actually be easier if that one domain that you're working with already will take care of the data product for another domain just to make um, to make sure that you can actually bring something to the table in the first place. Yeah, and Stephen Galsworthy recently said on, on an episode about like, if you do have those kind of two domains or whatever, you want to make sure that that you or you want to look for those use cases or, or you know, say that you by doing this, we're going to provide value back to you, even if it's not the initial use case, we're going to have information flow that we're combining with your data, and we're going to provide that back to you in such a way that that it adds value. Or it might be that we're, we're combining it with, you know, two or three other domains, and this is kind of more later mesh and things like that. Once you're, you know, kind of in that that stage of, of going to a couple of domains and you go, hey, you're the producer and then somebody else is going to be consuming it for that initial use case. But then there's a, a secondary use case off of that that then is going to benefit back to you. And so you, you start to, to do that. But a lot of people are going to domains and just saying, will you do this thing for us? Because we need to produce, we need to consume your, your data. And that's where you have to really, really go in and work on the incentivization and, exactly, and things yeah. like that. Perhaps one one thing about this. So when we start with the data mesh implementation, right? When a client comes to us and says, "Hey, let, let's let's try this out," um, many of the questions that we get are around the technical implementation. How do you build this thing, right? 
Um, but I mean, we started the, our conversation here about um, operating model. And to, to my surprise, this in many cases is not one of the questions that the clients have at the beginning, right? They, they understood from uh, also from, from reading Jean-Marc's book that uh, there is a change in the operating model is necessary. Um, but quite often we see that questions are circling around, around uh, the, the tech part. Um, but really bringing the responsibility for the data product and, and bringing the people who build the data products into a business domain um, is something that is often discussed as a second or third step um, after having a look at the reference implementation and trying to figure out how to build this in the first place. Right? So how, how to operate is, is not the first priority, perceived first priority with many of our clients. And I would actually say that um, I would love to see that conversation um, earlier in the process. Yeah, and, and some people are talking about, um, you know, hey, you should, I, I saw this post uh, of somebody saying, you know, you should put your technology in place and then allow your your operating model to shift. And it's like, that's just fighting against Conway's law and you're going to put something into place that doesn't actually serve what you want and things like that. They have to kind of evolve together. But exactly what you're saying, like Rebecca Parsons, I think, said something in in a recent podcast um, that she did on uh, or that she was part of with Jmac and Emily Gorsinski and uh, Birgatha. And I can't remember her last name, but uh, part of uh, ThoughtWorks Germany. But Rebecca Parsons, CTO of, of ThoughtWorks, was saying, we keep wanting to focus on the platform aspects because they're tangible and we can make progress. And we, we, we can say, is this right or is this wrong? Versus trying to say, is this operating model right or wrong? You, you definitely don't really know until you start to test it, right? Or, I mean, you could say like, this would be a terrible idea, right? But like, is this the right one? Is this gonna be the fit? And, and how do you actually migrate to that it's it's like oh we just click the reorg button and all is good and it's like no obviously that's not it so like how do you find what is right for that domain and then how do you start to think about not just having right for the domain right like let's start with that that initial domain as to when you're learning how to do a data product and you know and learning how to do data mesh in that dom domain as they're evolving and then as they mature, but like how, how have you worked with people to kind of, what, what have you discovered? What are the patterns that you're seeing and how can people discover those patterns for themselves that's gonna fit for their organization and then start to mature those as well and not become too stuck on the patterns? Um, so I think the, the point to start is um, having an open conversation about how would you, how would you set this up um, in in the current organizational structure? And then we see that um, the, the the people who would actually be able to build the data products, to build the data mesh, they are quite often, I would say, a bit disconnected from uh, from the uh, from the real from the business domain, right? And um, depending on the value that we expect for a domain, um, and I would I would define a domain as um, there is a business purpose, there is somebody responsible for that business purpose, 
there were operational tasks that uh, help us to achieve that purpose, right? To achieve the goals that we've defined. Um, so that there should be a number of people in that organization who have a higher interest in in making that work, that making the data mesh work, uh, because they're expecting um, a positive impact on their business. And you don't have to start with a with a huge reorg. Um, it's actually starting with a small team. Um, you, you can start building data mesh if if you're looking at a data product team. You can start with a small team that is four or five people plus a product owner. Um, you you would still have to uh, to build a platform, uh, but that platform is something you can. Uh, you can you can have that with a centralized uh, platform team that can sit with an IT organization, but the data product team ideally will sit with a business domain, right? And as I said, you don't have you don't need a, a large team for that. You can have a small team and just prepare for that team being part of your business domain and being part of your daily work, and and make sure that people in this team. Are not just taken from the outside, or you just take five people from an IT organization and you integrate it in, in, in your in your own organization, um, but have people that that are subject matter experts in your domain that that know what the what the data is about, um, that know what other people might do with this data, to make sure the the data products that you build are actually valuable and and can have an impact. And I think that's not, I mean, it it is a challenge, um, but I think I think it's a challenge that that is worth to tackle um, because it, it's what, what brings the value in the end. If you, if you just push it back to an IT organization, centralized or not, um, you'll probably not get the, get the impact from data mesh that you want. So I'm going to ask a question that I don't think I've heard anybody give an explicit answer to because I think there's a lot of implicit assumptions around this, but I believe people have a ton of different implicit assumptions. And that is, you said a team of four to five to develop the data product, right? To develop that initial use case. How do you think about team life cycle around a data product, right? You have a product owner and that product owner stays with the data product, but is it that somebody develops a data product or that a group of that four to five people are developing the data product and thinking that is that full time? Are they staying full time on that data product? Is it that the, the data product owner is the only one that's full time and people then go to focus on additional incremental data products within that domain? Or like, how does how have you seen that work? Because people are worried that I need to have four or five people full time developing a data product, then they say, well, how big should this data product be? And then they try and make it uh, the data warehouse of the domain, which then doesn't really fit. And, you know, it's like, okay, then we have to have this be this big, big, big thing to justify having that many people versus that's how many people are working on creating it and building it. But then there's somebody who's, there's multiple people where it's part of their evolutionary or their, their job has an idea around keeping that up to date, evolving it, you know, making sure it's still running and all of that. But like, I guess I'm just trying to figure out workload, how long, how does that evolve? Like, how have you seen that really work for teams? Because people are like, I can't permanently put four or five people on a data product. Yeah. So 
I'm, I'm not sure if I can give a definitive answer on your question, but let me let me give it a try. Um, so four, four or five people is what I said, can be two, three, four people. It really depends on the complexity that we that we expect, right? Um, now, when we create a data product team and the data product team is responsible for working on a value hypothesis that we identified as part of a lean value tree exercise, right? Um, this this use case uh, is part of a of a value hypothesis, so that team would actually be responsible for the value hypothesis and not just for one data product. Usually, when we when we talk about a use case, this use case is also more than one data product. So the the, the data product team is not just building one data product for the next year, um, but it's it's rather a collection of data products. Let's say we start with a use case that has one consumer-oriented data product, uh, and this consumer-oriented data product will be connected to, let's say, three, four, five source-oriented data products, depending on the complexity of the use case. Then this is what the data product team will be responsible for building, uh, delivering to a client, uh, to the user, uh, gathering feedback, improving until you actually meet the targets that you've defined as your measures of success, what you want to achieve with this data product, right? Um, so it's not just we have a few people building one data product and then they're, they're done and they hand it over to some operational team and they move on. But when we talk about a data product team, we talk about long-standing teams. When, when we talk about product thinking, we, we say it's not we have an analysis phase of I don't know, a quarter, and then we have another quarter to build something, then we hand it over to operations. That's not what we want to do. But we want to have a data product team that starts in the discovery phase, identifying the use case with the domain um, that continues building the first MVP, continuously evolving these data products right, that they are responsible for as part of the value hypothesis, and actually staying with these data products until we decide that the data products are not necessary anymore and will be retired. Uh, of course, you can, within this data product team, let's say this, these are, there are four people in the data product team, um, of course, you can phase people out, phase other people in, and, and have a bit of a rotation within the team. But the team itself that should always be uh, a long-standing team. It's not meant to be a team set up for half a year, and then they do something else. But it's really a team that is long-standing, set up for taking care of these data products, of the use cases, evolving the use case until it is retired. Do you, do you almost consider it more of, instead of a data product team, they're more of a use case team via data products? Or you know, is it that the subject matter experts otherwise own the use case and the actual implementation? Or is it kind of... It's all dependent on the use case or because again, I'm, I'm trying to think how people can say, is it really productive to have that number of people building and maintaining a data product? And you're saying it can be multiple, but like, how is that? How are you seeing that often look? Or if you were to kind of look at median or, or, or mean or whatever of that, the average not say this is the way it needs to be done for everybody, but how how are you seeing those types of things look? Because I'm I'm still trying to figure out 
do I take these four or five people and the only thing they do is build and maintain this single data product or this one or two data products for this one use case. And so then they're constantly there supporting that use case. So we only have the ability to support very high value use cases because we've got four or five people or, or you know two or three or four or whatever that are supporting that one use case. Do we only get to do this for very high value use cases or is that only the initial reason for creating a data product and then additional uh, reuse means that you just get extra value from it or like how, how are you seeing people like justify that m- amount of work? Is it that they evolve and they continue to make incremental data products or is it that they're typically only handling one or two data products over time? So I think the, the, the first important thing to, to, to see here is that it really is not one data product that we that we look at, right? It really is not just one data product. It's a collection of data products um, that is required to make a use case a reality. And, and this use case, um, it may grow, right? You can start with a smaller use case. It may grow over time. You, you might find that um, as part of the hypothesis that you have defined, um, there is an additional use case. So you end up with two, three, consumer-oriented data products, but they share a number of source-oriented data products. And it really is a collection of data products that the data product team would would be taking care of um, and continuously evolve these data products and evolve the use case according to the requirements of the users, right? Um, when When we define the goals, we define measures of success uh, with these goals that can range from defining what what user value is, right? If we we talk about, if you're a bank and and your business is mortgages, then what you want to achieve is you want to see how many many people do you get into a home, right? Um, And this is something that you you can count or that you can um, evaluate. if you're if you're another kind of business, and you might even look at revenue or cost savings, which is not what we would define as a measure of success, but rather business benefit. Um, but you you look at you look at the numbers that you define as your measure of success, your individual measure of success in the data product team, and you will not achieve these within two weeks or four weeks. I mean, if you do, then congratulations, then then you've done really a good job. But usually, it's not that easy. Um, so it might take you half a year, a bit longer, perhaps a year, until you really reach those targets that you have defined for yourself. So there is continuous work for a data product team. It's not just I build a data product, I throw it on the market, and then out of the sudden, everything works and, and, and my, my goals are met, right? So it's rather that continuous process of starting with an MVP, building it, um, evolving the product, until you reach a point where you say now, now is good enough, and then you can decide if you just leave it for some time and focus on on, on other data products as a data product team, um, or if you if you see there there are additional requirements uh, coming up, and there is more to evolve that uh, that data that use case right and the data products around. So, so circling back to kind of what we were talking about of of what we're trying to do of like. If you were talking to somebody and they said, point blank, how do I 
find my operating model. It's, it's, you said kind of have those conversations and say like, how would you actually be able to implement this within your current operating model? But that, that's kind of the restraints, right? Like how do we find how to do this well, right? Like if you didn't have your current operating model, how would you do this? Or how would you achieve this with your, col- your company culture? Cause we're not going to be able to, ch- you know, shift the culture majorly in, you know, uh, through through a a a group of four or five people that are, are doing this, you know, in these you know uh, fifty thousand, hundred thousand person companies, but like, how do you kind of start to recommend that they organize these teams as you're you're bringing them on and you say, okay, we've got your data product team in this domain. We're going to create another data product team in another domain. Like, how do you get them to? design the initial and then evolve to what they actually want to want to get to or, or understand how they evolve to get to. Is, is that a clear question or? Um, let, let me try to give an answer. Then, then we figure out if the question was clear to me. Um, so starting to or setting up a data product team in a domain uh, that didn't have anything like a data product team before uh, gives us the advantage that we that we can start with a new team and a new kind of work that we that we start in the domain where we don't have an existing operating model for that kind of work right because the kind of work is new for the domain um, it, it might have been a part of so the, the data organization might have been uh, centralized somewhere and now what we do is we say no you're, you're a business domain, procurement, for example, and you need to have your own data product team. Uh, so the the first challenge that we see is um, that the domain actually needs to have budget to do that, right? Like there was, there's a number of people and, 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 and completely new uh, function within the domain that wasn't there before. So we, we need to, um, we need to find a way to help the domain owner to get the to the point that he can actually build this team as part of a business domain and this is something where i think as a as a as a consulting company you have the advantage that you can do this in a product a project right a project team you, you would build a, a project organization for uh, a defined um, period of time, let's say half a year, um, and you can somehow try this out. You can try this out with a domain with very low risk. Because if they figure out after half a year or a year, well, it's not what we expected, it's not what we want, that they can actually end it uh, without having to reorganize themselves again. Because what we also see is that quite often um, a domain um, you won't find the people for a data product team internally in a very short amount of time. It, it takes time. You might have to hire people. So uh, from that point where you make a decision, yes, we want to do data mesh and we want to build a data product team until you can actually have an internal, uh, internally staffed data product team in a business domain, it can be months until you find the right people to do that. Okay, that that's that's awesome, and, and and we've kind of I think run down a lot of the 
how do we do this inside that initial domain or inside a domain, whether it's the initial or, or not, but like, how do we start to think about taking this and applying this at the, the you know, macro level and, and going kind of finding your patterns to make this easier <laughs> instead of from the first domain, a lot of people say, oh yeah, we had our initial conversation and the first domain just threw us under the bus, whether that's the platform team or the whatever team, because they're like, we can't do this easy. What are you thinking? All this. So like, how do you think about taking it wider? How do you think about actually finding those, you found some patterns that are working in that initial domain. How do you think about taking it so that it goes work-wide? So uh, once, we, once we've shown some impact, right, in the first domain, this is always when, when other domains are um, uh, coming to, to that first starter and say, hey, um, how did you do this? Can we do that as well? Can, how can we um, participate and, and, and join the data mesh activities? Um, and we, we start with building that first domain with the data product team and um, a data platform team outside of that domain that would actually support the data product team in, in, in building their data products. And then we can roll this out to other domains. So we, we would typically set up um, a kind of a transformation office that works as an umbrella across all the domains that want to participate and that supports the domains in to some extent, replicating the process that we created with the first one. To some extent, uh, I say, because of course we, we would um, modify this process based on the learnings. Um, it's, it's also like an, an iterative process. Every domain onboarding will be a little different because we, uh, we learned something in the one before. Um, and this transformation office will help the new domains, not just to set up a data product team and um, clarify what roles are required and how they work together, That the, what, what a product mindset is. I mean, even though the introduction of a product mindset is, is something that doesn't happen, um, yeah, it doesn't happen instantly, right? It, it takes, it's a bit of a journey. Um, and from the transformation office, we'll also help a domain owner to go through that process of identifying what is your, we call it data mesh nirvana. Why do you want to do data mesh? What is it that, you, that you're expecting from, from data mesh for the domain? We go through the LVT exercise where we identify the goals. What are the business goals that you're working towards? And this is something that is facilitated by the transformation office. And we, we can take this from one domain to the next and really build up that, that group of domains um, that, that are participating in the data mesh. And at the same time, we, we initiate something that we call a, a cross-domain forum where the different domains can meet, build a community, and uh, exchange on their experience that they've made on the journey, right? Because every, every domain has made or makes different uh, um, experiences on the journey. Some things that work in, in domain A won't work in domain B, and we'll work with C again. So it's really exchanging of what what kind of uh, what path works for a domain what ways of working work for you and, and what are the, the the usual obstacles that that we find on the way um, and this is where we see that that the transformation office is the is rather in a facilitator role and really helps to um, to to foster that conversation between the domains and I think that's 
also one of those big, big misconceptions around data mesh is that decentralized data means everything is decentralized versus there's a, there's a central governance organization that is there that that's part of that maybe transformation office or whatever that's helping to set standards and help you know if somebody has a complex complicated question they have the ability to dig into this stuff further or that is um, working with people, but that it's not just every domain just does everything themselves, right? Like it's not all of this, um, all of a sudden you decentralize all the things instead of you figure out like you don't have the central centralized data architecture and centralized data team versus you have teams that are supporting data functions from a centralized perspective. And it's just like, I, I just get so confused when, when people go down that route. So, but yeah, so. And, and you're not decentralizing everything, right? You, you still have the central platform. You still have the central data marketplace uh, or, or how you want to call this. So this is still central. But the, the creation of the data products, this is decentralized, right? This, this is something that you, that you bring into the domains. So it's not everything is decentralized. Well, and, and, and storage and handling and, and evolution and all that stuff is decentralized because you put it with the people who have the context and you just give them the capability to actually do it. But what, one thing that we were looking at talking about as well was like, identifying new use cases and the necessary data products to serve them. So when you think about identifying new use cases, a lot of people have talked about kind of waiting for people to come to them with their use cases where they go, we just kind of wait until somebody raises their hand and says, I have a new use case versus a domain going out there and marketing their data and saying, here, here's what our data, uh, you know, we've got our data on the inside, data on the outside, the data on the outside is the data that should be shared, but maybe it's the data that we are sharing, but we've got this data on the threshold that we don't know if people want or what would be the use case. Like, how are you finding that kind of use case um, kind of elevation or or that they start to float up to the surface? Is it is it push or pull or, or that? And then we can talk about how once you've identified a use case, you can you can start to, to think about finding the necessary data products. But how do you find good new use cases? Is, do you have kind of a set of criteria or do you have a way to encourage the organizations to do that? Or So there's, there's two things, right? In, if you look at a use case that is just within one domain, um, then it's relatively easy because the domain, somewhere in the domain leadership team, somebody will have a problem and... Uh, then the data product team and the product owner look into it. When we talk about use cases across domains, this is where we where we really count on the community. We we bring the domain owners together in in, in the community, the product owners of the data product teams, um, and we try to foster that exchange. Really talking about what are the the use cases that that everybody is working on. So if you have an idea of what the other domains are working on, it it helps you to um, identify potential use cases for yourself, for your own domain, where you could use the data from another domain, right? And and this is where, from a community aspect, we, we really try to to drive the exchange between the domains um, to to identify where is the potential. Where can you use something or where do you spot a use case in another domain where you can say, hey, I, I would have something where I can help you. 
right? And it's really this this collaboration um, from from the community that that we see in identifying new use cases. And then there's the question: How do we get from the idea of a use case to the actual data products? Um, and this is something where we it, it's an exercise we do in a data mesh discovery actually, where we build a data product interaction map. We we identify the use case that we want to build. So what is the job that a persona wants to do? And we we go from we start from the use case. We start from the description of the job and say, okay, what is the what is the consumer oriented data product that I need for this? Is it just one? Is it two? Let's define this consumer oriented data product that we need to build. Um, and from there, we can break it down into source-oriented data products that connect to the relevant data sources. And this is a process we've done many, many, many times uh, with different teams, different clients, where, where we identify always starting from use case, right? It's not, and it, it's never about we can build a data product, let's do it. It's rather, is there a use case? Is there a user? Do we add value to something? Can we measure the value that we have? And from there, we break it down into the uh, into the data products that we need to um, to, to see on, on the source side. And so I think a good place to wrap up kind of the conversation and that, that question is around how are you finding the, the boundaries around them? What should you actually put into them now and maybe potentially add later? Like, is there any advice that you have on that? Sorry, can you just rephrase that question so yeah so when we think about the creating the the data products to serve a use case we also have to think about reuse in the future so how do we think about creating that in such a way that um we're not just serving only the use case we're not becoming overly reliant and overly specific about serving that use case versus we serve that use case to what it needs to be but we also think about how we can we can create data products that actually serve uh, the the broader mesh rather than simply only the use case. So, by principle, the the data products should be interoperable, right? So, this this is this is one aspect. Um, when creating the data product, it should be created, at least my personal belief, um, towards the very specific use case. It is created for, but that doesn't mean that you can't change it. So if in the future another use case comes up and wants to make use of that data product that we've just created and needs a slight customization of this data product, then let's do this. You have the data product team in place, right? You have a team in place that is that has built the data product, so this team can also modify it. And this is why, why I would say. We don't have to take much care of this as long as it's interoperable. It, it, it's built according to the principles. Um, why not build it specifically for the use case? Yeah, this has been a thing where people are creating a bunch of data that they don't know who's going to use it or why or how. And it's seeing lower than expected usage because they didn't create it in such a way that people can easily just use it because there wasn't a specific reason or a specific way it should have been created. And so that, that's a mistake at the very start, right? To create a, a data product that has no use case. Why should you do yeah. this? Don't, don't create a data product without a use case, right? Start from the use case, identify the data products that you need to, to make that use case a reality. 
and don't just build the data for it because you can. I think in the end, we'll see that there we learn how to how to fill in our white space of like this data should be shared because then people can come to it and create their own use case from it and things like that. But yes, I, I think that that's year four or year five of a journey. Once you've figured out how to do this very well and you've seen additional use cases emerge, but people are trying to pressure to get to there. People are, are reading Jamak's book and saying, I need to get there in year one. And it's like, no, take your time, journey, journey, journey. This is about getting to where you need to go. And, and I, I also think if you, so what we do, we, we break it up into, um, we have the consumer-oriented data product, which is somehow aggregated. Uh, and then we have source-oriented data products that are very specific and very, very small, right? And with the source-oriented data products, they're very specific and very small. I think that um, th there is, they, they should be easily reusable um, as the, the, at least in our approach, the, the, the real specification, no, specification is the wrong word. So the, 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 the consumer-oriented data product, this is what is very specific to the use case, but the source-oriented products are, are rather, rather broad, right? Yeah, they're generic. They're, generic. they're something that is, is capable of, they're building blocks. Exactly, they're building blocks. Right, they're something that you build off of, yeah. So, um, so we've covered a whole heck of a lot. Um, unfortunately, as I told you, I'm, I'm not feeling the best, so I don't think we can get to the data product factory thing today. But is there anything we didn't cover outside of that that uh, you'd like to or any way that you'd want to wrap up the episode, any kind of button you want to put on the end? I, I think we, we've covered most of it. And uh, I, yeah, I can only say I enjoyed our conversation today pretty much. Thank you. Same here. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place? Anything specific you'd like them following up about? Uh, yeah, I, ideally find me on LinkedIn. Um, this this is definitely the best channel to get in touch. Okay. And we'll drop a link to that in the uh, show notes as per usual. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for spending the time here today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Chris Haas, advisory consultant at ThoughtWorks. You can find a link to his LinkedIn and a blog post on Lean Value Trees in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month -month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one -on -one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. 
As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.